Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. I was thinking the other day, it was about a year ago I started in this book. And we're in the 10th chapter. So it looks like it's going to be at least another year. But it's been at least good for me. I hope it has been good for you. Luke chapter 10. You know, when you go th study through books of the Bible, you get all the Bible has to say. I was telling a younger preacher one time, I said, you know, it's, I said, uh, I've come convinced that the best way to preach is to preach through books of the Bible, expository preaching. And then I said, nobody can accuse you of saying you pointed me out. Or you're just harping on my sin because you're just going through a book and you're just preaching what's there. You know, I've never had anybody here do that, but I, it has happened. <clears throat> anyway, Luke chapter 10. It also keeps preach from getting on hobby horses. <clears throat> I have a few of those, but anyway. Keep quiet. <laughs> Luke chapter 10. Let's begin reading at verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 24. It says, After these things, the Lord appeared... After these things, the Lord appeared... Appointed, I'm sorry, appointed... A, other seventy also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Can you imagine that? That's real exciting there, isn't it? Verse 4, carry neither the purse, nor script, nor shoes, and salute no man by the way. And to whatsoever house ye enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. And in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. And in over whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. And heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. But into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you not, go your ways out into the streets of the same, and say, Even the very dust of your city, which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works have been done in Tyre and Sidon, which have been done in you, they had a great while ago repented, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted to heaven, shalt be thrust down to hell. Anybody know what Capernaum was? Why was that important to the Lord? That's where he lived. After he left Nazareth, he dwelt in Capernaum. But anyway, uh, verse 16, He that heareth you heareth me, and he that despiseth you despiseth me, and he that despiseth me despiseth him that sent me. And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing, but shall, nothing shall by any means hurt you. 
Notwithstanding in this rejoice not, that the spirits are subject unto the you, but rather rejoice, because your names are written in heaven. In that hour Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered to me of my Father, and no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. And he turned him unto his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. You know, it's God's desire that all who name the name of Christ labor with him in getting the gospel to every creature. You know, the Great Commission, as we call it, is given five times in the scriptures, in each of the, each of the gospels, and then also in the book of Acts. But the Great Commission wasn't given to the apostles, it was given to his churches. Uh in Acts chapter 1, he says that we are to be witnesses in both Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And if you continue reading in the context there, the church was gathered together and there were 120 names on the roll. So it was given to the church. And so I tied this message this morning, laborers in the harvest, laborers in the harvest. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your precious word. We thank you, Father, for that it is a lamp under our feet and light under our path. And Father, I pray that you would open our eyes this morning to see some truths that would encourage us and challenge us. And Lord, I pray there's been any in our midst this morning who do not have that assurance of eternal life through Jesus Christ. have never truly heard. I pray that the Spirit of God would bring conviction and repentance. And just pray that you be glorified and uh, the body of Christ would be edified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we think about laborers in the harvest, one of the things that Jesus commanded his disciples was, first of all, to pray for laborers. Pray for laborers. In verse 2, he says, Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. The word pray here is means to beg or binding oneself. And so we're to pray, we're to beg God that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. The word send is an interesting word, it's a very strong word. It means to expel, or drive out, or send away. You know, Jesus said this similar, uh, uh, a, a, a cross-reference here for this is in Matthew 9.38. Pray therefore the Lord of harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. In Acts 13.4, speaking about Barnabas and Saul, who became Paul, it says, so they being sent forth, or they were kind of, I know that doesn't sound very good, but they were expelled. They were sent out, or sent away, of course, by the Spirit of God, by the Holy Ghost. And they departed under Seleucia, and thence they sailed to Cyprus. And again in Acts 17.10, it says, they, and the brethren immediately sent Paul away, sent away Paul by, and Silas by night in Debrea. So the idea here is praying that the Lord would send or he would drive out laborers 
into his harvest. Uh, <clears throat> Spurgeon says it means to push them forward or thrust them out. It's used, used to describe ex, expelling a devil from a man possessed. Now, the harvest, of course, is the world. The field is the world. Jesus told it that in the parables. And the harvest truly is great. There are 7.6 billion people in our world this morning. Many of which have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we need to pray that the Lord would send out laborers into his harvest field. You know, Isaiah 6, 8, Isaiah said, And also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? One commentator said, If you're praying, the Lord send out workers to your harvest, is just the kind of prayer that builds a harvest interest in the one who prays. Unquote. So we need to pray for laborers in this harvest. Secondly, I want you to notice the purpose for laborers. And of course, that is quite simple. It is to gather the harvest. It's to gather the harvest. In verse 9, he says, <clears throat> Heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. And in the end again, verse, uh, verse 11, he says that the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. So the, the purpose of laborers to, is to gather the harvest or to go after lost souls that are ripe for harvesting. The word come nigh means to draw near. The idea of endeavor to reach souls with the gospel and gather them into the kingdom of God. Of course, gathering a harvest, you know, I grew up on a farm, so I understand what gathering a harvest requires. It requires a lot of work. And it starts long before harvest. It starts long before harvest. It starts with soil preparation. In Jeremiah 4, 3, it said, the Bible says, For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up the fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. The fallow ground there refers to ground that's just been plowed. You know, a home on the farm, you know, we would plow. Now, nowadays they cheat. They use what they call no-till. They don't even plow. They just plant. They had these special kind of planters that make its own seed bed. But, but back, back years ago, you had to plow at first. But the ground was usually rough after you plowed it. And then you got this to cut up and prepare the soil for the seed. So there's a soil preparation. But to break up the fallow ground, there needs to be sowing. Hosea 10.12, Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. So then we have to sow, and of course the seed is the word of God. We need to sow the seed. So there's, there's, there's soil preparation, there's, there's sowing, and then, then, then comes the reaping. The reaping, where we gather in the harvest. You know, we, must, we are to work in God's field, which is the world, where take the seed and, 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 and sow it. And, but, you know, but that requires that we prepare ourselves, that we work the field, that we can reap a harvest.
Yeah, God has to do work on our own hearts. You have to know something about sewing. I remember us, the brother and I were working for another farmer, and and uh, he had an older older corn planter, but it worked okay. But but it wasn't as up to date, and and you had to go a certain speed uh, so that it would drop the right number of plants. And 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 in field corn, you want about thirty to thirty two thousand plants per acre to get the maximum yield. Well, he had he had a he had an Oliver, 1755 Oliver, which I did the corn planting, and usually I used that tractor to plant corn, and there was a certain gear you went in, this was about a certain speed, and it would plant the right number of seeds. Well, he also had a nice John Deere that was, was a little smaller, and, and they were using the Oliver or something else, so we were planting this big field, and he gave me this John Deere, and I put it in another gear and opened up a little bit. I was going a little bit faster. It was nice. The soil was nice. The field was nice. Nice long rows, you know. But you know what we find out? We weren't dropping as many seeds because we were going a different speed. See, you have to know something about sowing. That requires preparation of ourselves. Preparation of ourselves. You know, and Jesus gave the 70 specific instructions. There was to be a particular attitude for their work in representing him and giving out his message. And if you notice here, there's a couple of things. First of all, they were not to be distracted by material concerns. Notice verse 4. Carry neither purse nor script nor shoes and salute no man by the way. Now when he says carry neither purse nor script. Now a purse is where you put your money. A script is where you put your lunch, food. A script was for food. It was a food pouch is what it were. And what he's saying is here, he said you don't carry your purse, you don't carry a purse, nor a script. Now, the point is, these are not to be the primary concerns for laborers in God's harvest. They're not primary concerns. He also said they were not to be distracted by, one commentator called them, tedious ceremonies of etiquette. Notice verse 4 again, it says, the end of that verse says, salute no man by the way. Now, I had a hard time understanding that because I'm not, I'm not a, I guess, what most people would call an extrovert. I don't talk to everybody that I see on the street. But, in Eastern culture, they would understand this. The word salute means to greet or embrace. It's used of those accosting anyone, of those who visit one to see him a little while, departing almost immediately afterwards to pay respects to a distinguished person by visiting him, of those who greet one whom they meet in the way. A salutation is made not merely by a slight gesture and a few words, but generally by embracing and kissing. Forget that. A journey, and, and here's the important part. A journey was retarded frequently by saluting. Now, one commentator said this, quote, In the East, greetings are so tedious, so full of flattery, so certain to lead 
on the way to wayside gossip. That men who are out on a work of life and death must run the risk of seeming unsocial at times. Unquote. So they want to take time to salute or or greet, you know, and then again, in our society, we don't, you know, when we greet somebody, it doesn't take much time. So that, it, it, that's not really what we're talking about here. But he's talking about really spending time and visiting just because you know them. No, you're to, you're to, you're to stay at your work. Stay at your work. Not that you're supposed to be stuck up. God doesn't want us to be stuck up, you know. But the point here is we are not to be sidetracked from our mission for the Lord by the cares of this life. You know, some are more concerned about financial stability than a good church to attend and work through, or being faithful in that church and serving there, or what their friends think about where they go and what where they go and what they do. You know, are these real concerns? Oh yeah, they are. I mean, if I have money to pay my bills and if I have food to eat, that's a real concern to me. I mean, if I don't have any for a few days, I'm going to get kind of ill. But the Lord said, that's not your primary concern. That's not to be your, if, if you are a labor for the Lord, that's not to be your primary concern. Go to Matthew chapter 7 here for a minute. Matthew chapter 7. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 7. Verse 20, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34 says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for the body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto a stature? Why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more... Clothed you, O ye a little faith. Take therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or with or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So, you know, three times he says, take no thought for your life. Verse 25, he says, take no thought for your life. You know, your life's in God's hands. God said, I can take care of your life. Verse 28 to 30, he says, don't take any thought for what you're going to wear. I mean, I clothe the lilies of the field. Cannot I clothe you? And verse 31 and 32 again, he says, don't worry about what you're going to eat. I can take care of that too. 
See, these are not to be our primary concerns. Here is what you need to give thought to, to be most concerned about. Verse 33, Seek ye first, King God, His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. See, our first and primary and most important concern is, are we obeying the word of God? Yeah, God commands us to work. And he does not work, neither should he eat. But you know, even that is not to be our primary concern of life. That's secondary. As a Christian, our first concern is, are we obeying God and his word? Are we laboring in his vineyard? And so, they weren't to be distracted by the cares of this life. You know, speaking of a soldier in Timothy, or yeah, in First Timothy, uh, you know, Paul told us that the soldier is not to entangle himself with the affairs of this life, that it may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And so, so we see the purpose here of laborers is to labor in the vineyard, and that's their primary focus. Not just sort of the third thing, and that is the power of the laborers. Verse 9 through 16, it says, Heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But into whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you not, go your ways out into the streets, and the same say, Even the very dust of your city which cleaveth on us, we will wipe off against you, notwithstanding, be you sure of this, the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But I say unto you, that it should be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. You know, I'm not going to read all this, but, but I want you to notice several things here. First of all, there, were, the pow, there was the power of life or death in their message. There was the power of life or death in their message. The message was that he commanded them to give was the kingdom of heaven is come nigh unto you. Of course, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the good news. And this message, the gospel, has the power to translate us from the power or kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Christ. For those who receive it. It is, it is life. It is eternal life. We call it being saved. Or being born again. So it has the power of life. But to those who reject it, it's death. It's hell. It's the lake of fire. Notice verse 11 again. Uh, verse 10. But into whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you not, go ways out in the streets in the same, and say, even the very dust of your city which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you, notwithstanding, be you sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh you. In other words, it was near to you, but you would not receive it. But I say unto you, verse 12, that it shall be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. You see, it has not only the power to give life, but it has the power of death. Paul told the Corinthians, we are to some the savor of life, to others the savor of death. 
No, it's not our message. It's God's message through us. And if you reject the message given you because you don't like the messenger, the consequences are the same. They don't change. Notice verse 16. He that heareth me, he that heareth you, heareth me. He that despiseth you, despiseth me. And he that despiseth me, despiseth him that sent me. You know, if you reject the message because you don't like the messenger, it doesn't change the message or the consequences or the reward if it's received that goes with the message. So it has the power of life or of death. They also had the power of God's protection. Again, the, the interesting thing here in verse 3 says, Go your ways, behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Now what, what's going to happen if you put some lambs in with a pack of wolves? We all know what's going to happen. They're going to be torn to pieces. He said, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. But notice verses 18 and 19. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Your God has all power. You know, but sometimes he allows things to happen that raises questions in our minds. Does he not? For example, Isaiah 54, 17, the Bible says, through the prophet Isaiah, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness of me, saith the Lord. Now, Isaiah said, No weapon formed against thee shall prosper. Yet Isaiah was murdered by Manasseh. In Jeremiah, don't leave me here. Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 8. God speaking to Jeremiah says, Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have set thee this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build, to plant. And then in verse uh, 18 he says, For behold, I have made thee this day a defense city, an iron pillar, and brazen walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against the princes thereof, against the priests thereof, and against the people of the land. And they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee. For I am with thee, saith Lord, to deliver thee. Now that's, God gave that to Jeremiah. And then in verse, chapter 15, verse 20, again he says, And I will make thee unto this people a fenced brazen wall, and they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee. For I am with thee to save thee, and to deliver thee, saith the Lord. 
Now, when Babylon came into the and, and took over and carried off Zedekiah and all them, and of course in their in their capturing of the captives, they captured Jeremiah. But Nebuchadnezzar said, "You look well, Jeremiah, and you let him go wherever he wants. If he wants to come to Babylon, we'll take care of him. If he wants to stay in the land, you provide things for him and let him stay." Jeremiah chose to stay. And then there was an insurrection amongst the people that were left in Judah. And they carried Jeremiah against his will to Egypt. Paul was stoned at one point and left for dead. But when he came to Corinth, the Lord said to him in a vision, no man will hurt thee. You see, the point I'm trying to make here, God has all power. But sometimes things happen and we don't understand. But we must trust the wisdom and sovereignty of God. He knows the end from the beginning. And we need to trust Him. We need to have faith in Him. Well, I just might say, well, I just won't fully surrender to God. I'll just trust the Lord as Savior and keep my distance. I think some people have that idea. Well, you know what? You've just removed yourself from God's protection because you're putting yourself on the throne of your life. The Bible says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And not only that, you're robbing yourself of God's greatest blessings and protection. You know, Jesus said this in John 19, 11. Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it was given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. You know, you don't have any power against me, except it were given to thee from above. And we see here, the power of God is demonstrated in this context, because it says, He sent them forth among wolves. And they all came back. But he said, in verse 18, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. I want you to think about that phrase, I beheld Satan. Children, what's it mean when dad or mom gives you that look? You know what? Jesus gave Satan the look. You know, when I was growing up, I went to Mennonite church. The men sat on one side and the women on the other. The boys sat with their dads and the girls sat with mom. And you could have heard a pin drop in that church. Because a lot of dads were like mine. If I moved, I got my ears snipped. And my ears got real red when it happened. And all Dad had to do was give me a look. And that look was paralyzing. It was paralyzing. By the way, Mom did the same thing. She was... 
the world's meanest mother. Praise the Lord. Uh, but you see, Jesus gave him that look, or he beheld Satan, and it was paralyzing. You see, all Jesus has to do is look. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So why are we fearful? Why are we afraid to be different? Why are we afraid to labor for him? Why are we afraid to witness for him? He said in Hebrews 13.5, Let your conversation be without covetousness, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man should do unto me. You see, we can go forth in the power and might of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and trust Him. Then I want you to notice the fourth thing. Not only do we see the when you pray for laborers, the purpose of them, the, the power of the laborers, but don't so much the privileges, the privileges of laborers. Notice verse 20. It says, Notwithstanding this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So as so we think about the privileges, I have two things here. First of all, we're rejoice, we can rejoice in the assurance of salvation. You know, laborers, those who labor for the Lord, and we can rejoice in the assurance of salvation. Spurgeon said this, and I quote, This is the only occasion in the Gospels where it is specifically said that Jesus rejoiced. It stands alone. Yet we should, should not think that Jesus never rejoiced at other times. We do not hear that he laughed, though it is thrice recorded that he wept. And here for once, as quite unique, we find the inspired assurance that he rejoiced. And he rejoices in the fact that their names are written in heaven. See, assurance of salvation is the fruit of obedience. It's a fruit of obedience. Look at 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2, verse 3 says, Hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily the love of God is perfected, hereby know we that we are in him. The word perfected means to add to, to bring to full, to accomplish, to finish. So as we keep his word, or we obey his word, God's love was perfected or brought to the full in us. The assurance of salvation, the confirmation in our own hearts, Him bearing witness to our spirit that we are the children of God. It's brought about by obeying Him. But not only that, not only we rejoice in the assurance of salvation, but we have the blessing of illumination. Notice verses 23 and 24. It says, And he turned on him unto his disciples and said privately, 
Blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. You know, the word illumination means to bring to light. You know, we say, well, that sheds some light on that subject. You know, you know we, we understand, it's bring to understand. So, so it's, it's, it works, uh, uh, when you work in something, when you labor in something, you learn the workings of that something. Now, Brother Welch, he works with septic systems. How is it you know so much about septic systems? Well, he works in it every day, just about. You know, Robert's learned a lot about backflows and all that kind of stuff. I don't know very much about it, but he does. You know why? Because he works with it. I don't know how Brother Oil knows more about the workings of City Rye than I do. Yeah, I do know. He works in it every day. Now, when you started, did you know much about City Rye? No. How many years have you been working there? Ten years. You know what? He knows something about the workings of City Raleigh. Why? Because he labors there. You know, when you labor in something, you're going to learn a lot about that. I know a few things about carpentry. I've labored in it about 20-some years, 30 years, going on 30 years, I guess. I know a few things about the ministry, too. I'm almost 30 years in that. You see, if you labor in something, you will learn about that, whatever field it is. How much do we know about the Lord? Maybe we should we would ask it this way. How much do you labor for him? When you start laboring for the Lord, when you start endeavoring to give the gospel to other people, working uh, through the, the local church ministry and getting involved and, and witnessing to people, you know what? You're gonna, it's going to drive you to learn more about God and how to answer questions people give to you about God. see, they had the privilege of assurance of salvation and they understood things that many before them never understood. And many in their own day did not understand. Prophets and kings, he says, have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them. And those things which ye hear and have not heard them. You know, the prophets looked into the things that you're hearing about. That you read about. But did not know. You know, 
You know, sometimes I'm afraid we don't know as much as we should about the Lord because we don't labor for Him as we should. Go to 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9 says this. For we are laborers together, notice it says together with God. God wants to labor with him. He labors through us. One commentator said this, These 70 disciples learned that when we boldly do what Jesus tells us to do, we can anticipate that he will bless us in ways beyond our expectation. Unquote. So how well do you know him? The question is how well or how much are you laboring? How much time do you invest How much of a priority does the Lord have in your life? Are you laboring for him? I guess we should say it this way. Are you laboring with him? God desires that everyone that names the name of Christ labor with him in his church body of Christ are you laboring